As a result of 20 years of personal practice, Mick has experienced the profound benefits of mindfulness. He realizes that we have a great capacity to connect deeply with our full selves and others. Through dedicated practice, we can transform the way we relate to ourselves, those closest to us, and the world. With his rich background as a therapist, former school teacher, and coach, Mick brings a wide range of skills and dedication to helping young people on their journey of self-exploration. Since 2011, he has formally taught mindfulness to teens in schools, on retreats, and weekly groups. Welcome, Mick. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to share more with us about mindfulness, meditation, and the philosophy at IBME. Yeah, thank you so much. It's great to be with you. Wonderful. Well, let's dive right into some of these questions. Can you define what mindfulness is? Since this term is thrown around so often these days, everyone seems to have an opinion or an idea of what mindful programs are. Yeah, I think it is really important to define it because like you said, uh, the word is thrown around a lot. Um, and the way it is defined, especially um, the way we define it through the teen retreats, is that mindfulness is awareness, but it's deeper than that because you can always be aware. We're always aware of something. But what makes mindfulness different um, is that this awareness has a sense of curiosity and also a sense of kindness, especially kindness towards yourself. So we're aware of ourselves, we're aware of our environment, and we add to that awareness by bringing a curiosity to it, um, by bringing this open awareness to look a little more deeply at what's going on within and around us. And then from there, um, interlaced with that, is this aspect of, um, of kindness that, that goes into it. That's wonderful. That's a great definition. Can you explain why mindfulness is so important for young people and even for us as adults to develop, especially these days with depression and anxiety at an all-time high? Yeah. Um, you know, as adults, we have really busy lives and we're often tethered to our phones and we didn't grow up like that. And we can only stop to imagine what it would have been like when we're forming our identities at 14, 15, 16, to also have this phone attached to us all the time in which people are putting pictures of themselves, making their lives look great. There's constant communication. So one of the things that mindfulness does and encourages is to pause. And for teenagers in this nonstop world that they live in socially and around them, a very turbulent world at times, mindfulness helps them to stem the flow of this when they start to practice. Um, one description of mindfulness that I really love that I've heard over the past, that I heard a couple years ago, is that mindfulness can be a flood stopper. Mindfulness can be a flood stopper. So when we practice that awareness with the curiosity of what's going on within and an aspect of kindness, and we start to practice that even after a short time for teenagers, that can help to stem the flow of strong emotions and the spiral that leads to anxiety, to worry, and also that spiral that pulls you into depression. So for teens, it's so important because it gives them this pause that they probably haven't been taught. And that's sort of anti, um, you know, it's kind of a, not in line with the way that most of the fast world is going on around them. So knowing that they can take this pause and then learning how to do that um, can really help them to be aware of their thoughts, and then to find ways to 
change their relationship to their thoughts and to themselves. It's powerful. I see that you've been meditating for 20 years and uh, I'm, I'm a lot less than that. I just started 2014, but um, it, it's just powerful what, what it does. So can you explain what the retreat is like versus someone just plugging into an app on their phone? A little bit about the process that you guys do when you retreat? Yeah, these these retreats are really like nothing else that I had ever done. Um, I worked with teens um, and teachers in schools for many years as a teacher and as a as a school therapist, and meditated on my own for about fifteen years before I went to staff on my first IBME retreat. So I knew all about meditation from my own practice. But when I went to this retreat and I had experience on meditation retreats, I was really skeptical. I was like, okay, like I know that adults can sit still for 20, 30 minutes and learn meditation, but let's see if teens can do it. And on these, on these retreats, um, I think what works so well is that they're mindfulness retreats. It's not just a meditation retreat. So it's bringing this awareness that I talked about in the beginning of kindness and curiosity, bringing that to everything that you do. So teens have this chance to look inward in many ways and also relate outward in what we call like engaged mindfulness. You know, so they're not just taking time to pause and look within. They're also noticing and practicing mindfulness while they're engaging in running around or playing music or in the small groups that we do on the retreat when teens get a chance to interact with each other. Um, so the, the mindfulness in the retreats is so valuable because it gives them this taste of what I would call like formal practice, which would be, you know, like sitting meditation on your own in silence. And then the informal practice, the relational mindfulness of being aware of yourself and others as you interact um, through the day. And that's really what strengthens their practice. And kind of like continuing with what we were talking about in the beginning about anxiety and depression in teens, one of the things that's so valuable about these retreats is that what happens is there's um, a real opportunity for teens to unplug. You know, we um, don't allow and or teens agree not to have phones on retreat. There's no, you know, video, YouTube to watch. There's no internet. So it's just like, okay, I'm face to face with myself and I'm face to face with these other teens. So with all those things, kind of those barriers to communication with ourselves and others swept away, they're able to really relate to each other. And I think teens and adults know that like, yeah, I have these problems and other people in the world have them too. But when the teens in our retreats get to actually see other teens who maybe, you know, through first look, they think, oh, you know, he or she has it all together and they get to sit and hear each other's challenges and their joys there's something happens where they're able to relate to themselves in a new way and to, um, you know, their peers in a new way, seeing each other like as they really are, not as, you know, an image. It's so true because people can look at us and think a certain thing, make assumptions. And until someone asks you, you know, how are things really going with you? And then you get, you get right into the gritty of what's going on in your life, you, you could appear a certain way and nobody really knows who you are. It's just crazy. We can go on for years and no one really knows us, just like oh, make assumptions. So, yeah, it's so true. And like walking down the street, you know, we, you don't know what uh, is going in somebody's mind or what kind of challenges or, or grief or life, life story they have. So, so part of it and like part of that question, I know you said, how is it different than using an app? And there's more and more great apps out there. 
and practicing mindfulness for young people and adults, I think really one of the most important things is not, if not the most important thing is to have community because we can try to do it alone. Um, but community is stronger than willpower. Um, especially when it comes to mindfulness, community is stronger than willpower. So, you know, there's many of us who try to go and sit and meditate by themselves and especially for teenagers, but to have other people sitting around you doing it and often doing it for the first time, you know, that co-regulation takes place where you're in that space where you're supported and that just helps you to build um, your practice. That community is, is, you know, close to everything <laughs> when it comes to mindfulness and especially the, uh, the Ivy Me Teen retreats. I think I tried to get a mindfulness app on my husband's phone for a year because he travels, he's always on a plane and stressed. And I said, just listen to this app. And he never did. It took a year for him to say, well, I'm, I'm finally doing it because getting someone to start on their own is really hard. So that's, that's a great point. Yeah. Just like other things like, you know, in a couple of months it'll be new year's and people will be trying to go to the gym or take these new eating habits. And it's, it's proven that when you have, support you know even if it's just one person in mindfulness too like our teens on retreats can meet another person just make one you know of one of the friends they made and they could say all right well let's like text each other every couple days and ask how's it going or like did you sit today or have you done any mindful eating lately so even just that one or two person community can be so valuable in in building mindfulness in your life for you know for young people and for adults it's like a mastermind that you create and that's the only way things work right yeah yeah just build, building that that community wonderful well what about the research everyone especially schools wants to know what the research says about mindfulness programs and so what would be the long-term effects of the retreat practice of mindfulness and meditation so three months after i did see your research on your website what did some of the participants notice and would we have the same benefits if we did this on our own without your retreats? Yeah. Yeah, it's been amazing. The research, as you're probably aware of, and a lot of your listeners are aware of the like proliferation of research in mindfulness, um, both like in the labs and in schools over the past five years, especially. So what Ivy Me um, has done is a um, post-retreat, like three-month follow-up with so taking the survey, um, you know, pre-retreat and then the post-retreat three-month, um, looking at psychological resilience, um, looking at mental health, you know, things such as depression, negative and positive mood, life satisfaction, measuring these things. And then also looking at things around, um, you know, your actions, your self-control. So after a five-day retreat, you know, there's a three-month follow-up. And some of these teens have probably continued practicing, some have not. But what the, what the results have shown is um, an increase in the things we want to see increased. <laughs> you know, an increase in self-compassion, which is something that we do practices for every day on retreat, increase in non-reactivity um, in the teens, and also some decreases in depression, in the negative mood, in rumination. Um, so the studies show that there is this, that there are these changes, um, after three months. And it's interesting because more and more the neurological studies are showing that even after, you know, our retreats are five days, people meditate for four days, five days, the brain starts to change right. in just that short time. And I think that's what this shows, you know, what we've been seeing in, 
in the teens who, um, who come on these retreats. It literally changes your brain and that impact, you know, it carries forth, um, you know, with the three month follow up. And changes your whole life really, which is wild. Yeah. And, and, and I think the time of, the time of self-reflection and that learning how to pause and to be with yourself from things I've heard teens say, like I just remember a teen saying, before I started practicing mindfulness, I would be around some people who were just like negative about everything. They love to like criticize everything. And I noticed that I started getting like that too. And I was like that too. But since I've been practicing mindfulness and doing these mindfulness practices, something's changed in me where I realized like, I don't want to be you know, always being negative, always being criticized. So these practices can change that mindset, you know, because it's changed. It's bringing this awareness to how you're how you're treating yourself and how you're treating others, and opening to you know shifting that a lot of times to more positive, you know, ways of being. Absolutely, that brings me right to my last question, and it was John Kabat-Zinn, who I know has done some work with your organization. And he mentioned that the real meditation is how we live our lives after we've meditated. So yeah. how we change from being stressed, rushed, to being more calmer and present. So what parting thoughts would you like to leave us with about how to get started with a meditation program in our daily lives? Perhaps from a parent point of view or students or someone in the workplace uh, to go from knowing to doing and then reap these wonderful benefits that you've mentioned? Yeah. Yeah, that's such a great question, a great one to end with, to send, you know, people on their way into continuing or, or starting. And really, it kind of goes back to one of the things we were talking about before. And I said, you know, on our retreats, we have that formal meditation practice where we sit in silence and meditate together, practice mindfulness together. And then we have the informal practice throughout the day of being present and being aware of yourself and bringing your body, your mind back to your body. You know, usually when we eat, we're either on our phones or reading something or thinking about the afternoon or whatever we have to do. When we walk, we're often thinking about something, you know, natural things. That's how the mind goes. So a big part of mindfulness and as we try to bring it into our daily life is adding these little mindful moments, adding these times to pause, to check in with ourselves, to bring the mind back to the body. Um, you know, in these simple mundane daily activities where our mind is usually off somewhere else. So it's like connecting with our lives, connecting with what's going on in our, in our body. And it's also giving the mind a time to rest from, you know, our busy lives and from the thinking. So, you know, like taking mindfulness into our daily lives and, the, and this is the nice wrap up of what we've talked about. One thing, I think you need community, you know, even if that's just one person, I've seen people say, Oh yeah, I want to, had known adults who said, yeah, I want to share this with my mom or I'm, I'm calling my aunt every day and we're meditating together, practicing mindfulness for five minutes. You know, so even a community of two, having a partner, finding a group to practice with and then looking at it as a, as a practice, you know, a lot of more and more people are turning to mindfulness these days as and thinking like, yeah, I've heard it so great. And they think it's going to get rid of things right away, but really it helps you to work with everything. <laughs> that uh, you know that comes up in your life. So adding these moments, and you start noticing, oh yeah, this kind of situation makes me anxious. Can I stop? Can I breathe? Can I notice how I'm feeling? And then um, you know, take action in a more clear and conscious way. 
you know? So, so going back to your question, I think it's so important to, as we take it into our daily life and in the workplace too, finding these moments of pause in the workplace, you know, can we stop before we turn our computer when we get in, turn on our computer when we get into the office, can we stop and just take literally one minute? You know, a lot of people say, I can't do mindfulness. I'm too busy. My mind is too busy. Try just sitting still and feeling your breath for one minute before you turn on your computer in the morning and just notice how that makes you feel, you know? Or when you're walking down the hall to go to that meeting, don't start the meeting until you get there. Pay attention to your feet and what it feels like to walk and enjoy that moment, you know, to center yourself, to be present before you get there and then you'll be more fresh and ready to, to move into, you know, wherever you're going. That's a powerful one because uh, I remember in the corporate world, everyone's walking around with their phones and missing the interaction with everybody. Even when you sit down in a meeting, it's that five minutes before the meeting has started where the connections happen, where you say, hey, how's it going? But most people, if you look around a meeting room, they're all looking at their phone. It's, yeah, it's, so it's, true. You see that in the workplace. And if you've been in any high schools recently or high school students or parents out there, you see that in high schools, like in between class. Sometimes students are chatting with each other, but sometimes they're, you know, checking in on their phone in between like before class starts or even, you know, like at lunch. So finding that time to pause and give the mind a break to come back to look at how we're doing to you know experience that stillness that's always within us but it gets covered over you know by the busyness of our um, activity and of our mind. I wonder what benefits you've noticed after 20 years of doing this what how, how are you feeling now from where you were if you can remember any <laughs> aha moments? Yeah, that's such a uh, yeah, that's such a good good question. I guess realizations or experiences of a long time practice is a little bit about what we talked about. Is recognizing that like practicing mindfulness doesn't make um, you know everything bright and rosy and easy, you know, but it gives you a way to gain a better perspective. And you know, like we talked about before, through the practicing mindfulness, we know that it calms the brain and does things to the amygdala that helps to settle um you know your nervous system so i think some of that has happened over many years just the biological things that we're now discovering through science but also just having more perspective and being able to deal with challenging emotions when they come up rather than them pulling me you know when i for a good part of the time hopefully i can notice when strong feelings come up um whether it be something you know inside of me um, now I have the space and the tools to be able to look at those feelings and not be as pulled by them. Um, you know, so it's like bringing mindfulness to that, bringing mindfulness to life's challenges, the inner and the outer. Um, and just having that, the great thing about mindfulness, there's great apps and all that. And for, and for some of us who started, you know, more than 10 years ago, there weren't apps, but all you need is your breath and you need your body. And that's what you can start with, paying attention to your breath, paying attention to your body. And then you don't need anything else because life is going to give you all the challenges you need to, to <laughs> practice mindfulness and, uh, it, you know, and to, and to try to live, live that way. So true. Well, that's such a powerful way to end. Thank you so much, Mick, for sharing your knowledge in this field. 
If anyone wants to learn more about your programs at IBME, they can go to IBME.com. But what's the best way for anyone to reach you if they wanted to find you? Oh, yeah. If you want to reach me, you can go to my website, which is MickNewstats.com. And can also feel free to contact me by email by, um, at Mick at MickNewstats.com. Perfect. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate your insight. You have a wonderful, peaceful rest of your day. Yeah, thank you so much, Andrea. Great talking with you. If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episodes. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com.